Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look again at one of your disciplines for us, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what you're saying to us and help us to go out as changed people, more like Jesus. Amen. I wonder, have you heard this one? The biggest drawback to fasting for seven days is that it makes one weak. Sorry about that. My friends say I have no sense of humour, and they're probably right. We're looking at fasting this morning, as Mark's been saying. We're in a series of sermons concerning Christian disciplines. Now, discipline, of course, is not an easy thing. Most of us don't like it. And yet, without discipline, life gets to be uh, not so good. And Jesus calls us to live disciplined lives to his glory. Remember, the purpose of the whole of this series of sermons in the last few weeks is is to help us to become more like Jesus. And of course, as we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus fasted. Last week, Alan brought us the discipline of solitude and quietness. Something he said would probably divide us in terms of whether this came naturally to us or not. And fasting probably somewhat similar. Because when we consider our lives and when we think of our spiritual lives as opposed to perhaps our physical lives, we probably tend to think of these things. Meeting with other Christians, having fellowship, something I talked about a few weeks ago, worshipping God, prayer, Bible study, serving others, loving others, witnessing to our friends and colleagues. But how many of us would include fasting within our spiritual life. How many of us have done any study on this discipline? How many this morning here fast? Well, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up to show that you do or you don't. But it's a question that we need to ask ourselves, because my guess is probably not that many of us. Certainly when I was a young man and uh, I, I was come being brought up in the Christian faith and I was listening to sermons and going to Bible studies, there was nothing said at all about fasting. It just didn't exist in the evangelical churches that I was a part of. Well, we live in a consumer culture that emphasizes the need for the acquisition of goods. Life is judged by how many goods we achieve. And this included the need for three good meals a day and snacks in between. Our society has made food something of an idol. You've only got to look at all the TV programs about cooking and food. So why then no teaching on this discipline? Perhaps because the evangelical church over the last 50 years or so has seen the medieval practices of fast days that have become a ritual rather than a way to worship God. But in the last 20 years or so, things are changing within the evangelical traditions. So today, we're going to look at this Christian discipline of fasting. But I do want to say this morning that this is not, you know, there are people with opposing viewpoints on this discipline. And I'll try and point out some of the issues uh, that people have raised on this. But what do we mean, actually, by fasting? 
Well, fasting is, uh, by definition, to go without food for a period of time for spiritual purposes. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about for reasons of vanity or diets or losing weight or because it's the, the trendy thing to do. No, it's the going without food for a period of time for spiritual purpose. That's the important bit. Now, another quote for you, this time from John Wesley, who said this, Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. Now, I have to uh, perhaps uh, be honest with you all and say that uh, I come from uh, a background where I have not fasted, the reason being I've been a diabetic for 40 years, and doctors don't recommend this because it does nasty things to our blood sugar levels. So these points in today's sermon come from my reading of the Bible, my reading of books and articles, and discussions with people that have some personal experience. But it doesn't come from my own personal experience. But I think this quote of John Wesley perhaps points us towards the problems associated with this discipline. Some might make too much of it, and others make too little of it. Now, the word discipline, of course, implies order and training to be under control. And this discipline is one of the very practical uh, ones which involves the control of our bodily needs and desires for the benefit of our spiritual condition. It's often used, isn't it, in connection to personal action, i.e. personally people fasting. But in the Bible, there are many references to corporate fasting. That is, whole groups of people, even nation-states, that fast together. So where does this come from then? What's the biblical reference? Well, the importance of this discipline is shown us in the Bible by certainly the number of references to it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In my study, I found at least 68 separate references to fasting, some of which refer to this corporate action and others to individual action. The biblical purposes for fasting, as given in scriptures, are as follows as a sign of sorrow, as a sign of repentance and seeking forgiveness, as an aid to prayer to God, as a part of experiencing God's presence, as an act of ceremonial public worship and public ministry. So there's a lot of reference in the Bible to it. Now, if you want these references, come and see me later because there are far too many to give you at this time. But in case you think that fasting is rather an off-the-wall activity, Richard Foster, that uh, quite well-known evangelical writer, quotes these biblical characters who fasted. Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul, and Jesus Christ himself. But not only do we have these references, we know that many Christians down throughout the ages have practiced this discipline, to name just a few. Martin Luther, the great reformer, John Knox, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, just to name a few famous people. So if it was important to all these people, there must be good reasons for us looking again at this discipline, which has had a very mixed history with regard to Christian discipleship. So why did people fast then in the Old Testament? 
Well, if you look at the Old Testament in a fairly cursory fashion, you'll see that it seems to have happened uh, when, the, uh, when something terrible was happening or going to happen. It was used at a time to avert or to terminate a calamity by eliciting God's compassion on the people. When a calamity struck, whether that was a war or a, or a famine, a fast was proclaimed. It was a spontaneous reaction to emergencies. In fact, in the Old Testament, a fast was a mean of demonstrating a humble heart, a repentant spirit. A fast without true humility was, uh, was valueless and senseless. Now, demonstrating humility and repentance was true for this mandatory fast that the Jews had on the Day of Atonement. On that day, the Israelites were to humble their souls, we read in Leviticus 16, verses 29 to 31. Now, I believe that this shows us that the people of God at the time believed that their God could intervene into history. Their God could take an active role in what was happening to them if they repented and drew close to him. And that's something perhaps that, you know, we as 21st century Christians need to get back to. That our God can intervene if we repent and humble ourselves. And we, re we see also that in almost all religions, both in Judaism and Christianity, they've all viewed fasting as an ascetic exercise which serves to purify man and bring him closer to God. But I chose that reading in Isaiah um, for a very good reason. Because Isaiah points us towards the fact that in God's eyes, fasting should be linked to practical social action of caring for the poor and those in needs. In other words, the spiritual life of the person, which has been involved in fasting, should be rooted in the practical outworking of love. Now, closely related to this, many view fasting as a way to make their prayers more effective. Wimmer states that this was emphasised by the church fathers. He approvingly quotes Augustine as saying, Do you wish your prayers to fly towards God? Give it two wings, fasting and almsgiving. In other words, the spiritual aspect, the fasting, and the practical aspect, the almsgiving, giving to the poor. So that's some of the positives. There are other viewpoints, though, on the importance of fasting, and I want to try and give you a balanced picture this morning. And here we've got, in the next uh, couple of minutes, I've got some quotes from people who think that fasting is less important. And they say this, The combination of fasting and prayer was common in Judaism, but in the New Testament times, the two seldom occurred together amongst Christians. Only on four occasions in the New Testament were the two linked. Two of these refer to the commissioning or ordination service. One refers to the practice of the godly woman Anna, in Luke 2, verse 37, and another in connection with Saul's conversion in Acts 9, verses 9 to 12. And he goes on to say, to imply, as some do, that fasting is an essential ingredient in effective prayer cannot be substantiated biblically. In the New Testament, much is said about prayer, but very little about fasting. Prayer is commanded, but fasting is not. The book of Acts refers to many instances of prayer where no indication of fasting is mentioned. 
in one of the most powerful, dramatic prayer meetings recorded in the entire Bible in Acts 4, there is not the slightest hint of fasting. When the apostles delegated some of the affairs of the instant church, it was to enable them to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They did not say, we will devote ourselves to prayer, fasting, and to the ministry of the word. Why then did some believers fast when they commissioned Barnabas and Saul as missionaries? Well, Carter and Earl suggested that fasting on that occasion emphasized a state of uninterrupted concentration which made it possible to ascertain the will of the Lord. So there are some doubts. Some people say, they say, for instance, in the New Testament epistles, they say nothing about fasting. Even in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, which mentions praise, thanksgiving, and well-doing as sacrifices pleasing to God, it doesn't include fasting. So you've got it. Some people say fasting is really important. Other people say it is not so important, though they don't deny that it went on. So why should individual Christians go to the bother then of going without food for a period of time apart from trying to lose weight? Well, firstly, I think I've got four reasons why we should be involved in this discipline. Firstly, Jesus assumes that his followers will fast, but questions the motives for people's fasting. We read in Matthew 6, verses 6 to 18. If we fast to get some return for ourselves, this is a false motive and God won't bless it. No, the Christian reason to fast is because God initiates it and God ordains it. God must be at the centre of it and it should be a part of our worship of him. Now, if this is the reason, then it will become a part of our total worship of him. We will expect that will become a part of our prayer life and our praise life. Again, a quote from John Wesley. Well, he's on the screen. First, let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed upon him. Let our intentions herein be this, and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. That is the only way we'll be saved from loving the blessing more than the blesser. So you see, John Wesley said this. What he was saying was that we should fast, but in doing so, the Christian must fully concentrate upon God and worship him within the fast, rather than the actual practice of fasting itself. So why should we fast? Because Jesus assumes that his followers will fast. Secondly, the practice of fasting helps us to know ourselves and helps us to pray for transformation to be more like Jesus. Now again, I have to say this is from other people, not myself, because I haven't fasted, but I'm told that when we fast, things that control us come to the surface. It may be fear, it may be bitterness, it may be strife, it may be anger, it may be all sorts of things. But if these things come to the surface, then during these periods of fasting, we can pray that Christ will help us to overcome these as we become more like him. Thirdly, the practice of fasting helps to keep life in balance with regards to the cravings for non-essentials. Fasting can help to keep the cravings for these things in their rightful place. Remember, it is a discipline. King David wrote, 
I afflict myself with fasting. Discipline brings freedom to the individual. And then fourthly, other benefits that fasting can bring to the Christian. Certainly it seems from people's witness, increased effectiveness of inter intercessory prayer, guidance in decision making, and increase in physical well-being. Some have added that when there's a particular difficult decision to be made in their lives, this, the fasting brings them closer to God and makes decision-making easier. Again, I have to add, this isn't my experience because I haven't fasted. So then, is fasting a command or a request? If there's so many good things about fasting, if so many people in the Bible fasted, are we commanded as Jesus' followers to fast? Well, there's no biblical reference to a command to fast at all. But there is an assumption that as Jesus' followers, they will fast. Others have shown us that there are commands to give money, commands to pray, but not to fast. They point to the expectation of Christian discipline in the New Testament that doesn't include fasting. So we, each one of us, have to make a decision. Do we fast or do we not? That is, you know, up to each individual person. So who should fast? Or who shouldn't fast? Well, I'm no medic, but uh, there are those, of course, that have medical reasons for not fasting. I guess that applies to pregnant mothers, diabetics like myself, those with heart conditions. But if you have any doubt concerning your physical ability to fast, then do obviously consult your doctor before beginning to fast. But really, in all reality, this will only apply to a very small number of people. Fasting is a discipline. And like all disciplines, it's best to start at the bottom. Okay? Think of the, uh, think of the metaphor, the simile. If we want to run the marathon, we don't start training by running the whole length straight away, do we? Because we'll kill ourselves, probably. No, we start by going on short runs, getting the muscles and lungs into that use of pattern of exercise. And it will take months to build up to those 26 miles of running. And likewise with fasting. It's wise to start with short periods. A day's fast, one meal in 24 hours. And fasting should include, of course, the taking in of fluids, water, because our body needs them, it's essential. But I am told that it's easier to start small and to build up much longer for longer periods, 36 hours of fasting, for instance. And while you're fasting, carry on normal activities of life. Don't have a glum face, in other words. But give inward time to prayer, to song, and to worship. Make every task of the day a sacred task to the Lord. So we've got to make decisions. And as I always like to leave you with challenges to think about, so I've got uh, three challenges here to conclude this sermon, this discipline on fasting. The first challenge of this, of course, is the question to ask ourselves, do I fast, yes or no? If no, then why don't I fast? Do I need to spend more time studying the subject, or is this just putting off the deed? If Jesus expects his followers to fast, what is the reason that I can give him, who's with us this morning, for not following his expectations? If he's standing here in church this morning and saying, when you fast, what will I say? Secondly, are there not situations that call people corporately to fast in our church? 
We all think of perhaps different needs, but we think particularly at this time we, we're, we're considering the role of the youth worker. What about the situation of our giving of time and money? Staff changes. Fasting to seek of the will of God in these issues. So what about corporate fasting? Are we challenging our leaders to uh, give us time to do that? Or thirdly, what about our small groups? Isn't it within our small groups where we can do this, where we can study the subject, we can discuss the subject, and we can pray together, and we can support one another, both morally and physically and, uh, and spiritually? So three questions, three challenges to you. To me, it seems that there's overwhelming evidence from the Bible and Christian history that fasting is an important aspect of Christian discipline. It's so important. If it is so important, then we must ask ourselves, what is the church missing if this isn't a part of our normal church activity? And a quote from 2 Chronicles. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. That's something that our land of Britain today needs, isn't it? Amen.